WNA Trailblazers is proudly brought to you by Davies Chocolates, makers of handcrafted Australian chocolates since 1932. Now gluten and palm oil free. Visit davieschocolates.com.au and order your selection online for speedy delivery to your door. So even my son, my fourth son the other day, he said, Mum, when are you going to start practising what you preach? And I said, just do as you're told, not do as I do. <laughs> so that's always a challenge, but it's a big lesson for me because I have pushed myself way too hard. It does catch up with you, so now I have to stop and, and really find time for myself. That's Ronnie Benbow, founding director of Women's Network Australia charity partner, the Carers Foundation, who are dedicated to caring for carers. And this is WNA Trailblazers. WNA, Women's Network Australia. Amplifying the stories of women in business. Hosted by Women's Network Australia CEO Cheryl Gray and Louise Poole, me, managing partner of podcast production company and official Women's Network Australia media partner, Welcome Change Media. Who do you look after from day to day? Does that list include someone who needs care? Or maybe it's the responsibility of looking after the well-being of people on your team. Are you bold enough to add yourself to that list? Someone who knows about caring and the toll it can take on carers who regularly give all of themselves without much time or thought for what they need is Ronnie Benbow. Ronnie became founding director of the Carers Foundation Australia and is someone Women's Network Australia is proud to have in our circle. So Cheryl, tell us about Ronnie. So Ronnie has an amazing personal story. She was a nurse and spent a lot of time caring for others, but was really affected by one particular, not a patient, but the carer of the patient that she saw. And she always had in her mind that she would want to do something to help support carers. And later on life, she found herself caring for family members, a number of family members. So she has firsthand experience of what carers in our community go through and the total dedication that they they have to caring for their loved ones. Mm. And as Ronnie points out in our conversation, we kind of have this perception that carers are people looking after aged relatives, but often it's young people. Mm. You know, Ronnie has some carers that she works with who are the youngest is age 12. So young people who are in some cases really have no choice but to care for a sick parent, siblings and so forth. So, oh, there's just so much need to help these carers. And, and one of the things we talk about with Ronnie is we get back to a subject we touched on in earlier episodes and that's self-care. So Ronnie tries to deliver care for carers but at times she needs to look up her own self-care and I think that could be still a work in progress. Well let's hear Ronnie's story hey and see if we can't get some advice. Ronnie, welcome to WNA Trailblazers. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for inviting me. I want to start kind of at the beginning. It was a long beginning in terms of you (laughs) setting up the Carers Foundation Australia. Yes. You were a nurse. I was. So you are really a carer by profession. Definitely carer by profession, yep. And you also were a carer personally. Can you tell us about that? The professional first or? Well, both. (laughs) How we incorporate it? Yeah, Yeah, I think you saw some experiences when you were nursing that left you thinking about the care for the carers and that probably planted a seed in your mind but it took some years and and indeed your own personal experience before you really turned that into action. Can you tell us about that journey? Of course, yes. So you're right, I was a student nurse and I used to work in the community and that's when I did realise the first time how 
the carers are the one that are actually unidentified in our community. And I guess one particular young man stood out in my life and really affected me because realistically, he was only a few years younger than me. He was probably only 15 years old and I was 18 years old and he was caring for his mum who had a quite a severe stroke. So he was no family, no friends, no siblings. He was doing it all on his own. So he missed out on school. He didn't get to play any sport. And every time we went around to visit his mum, I was concerned about him because his condition was deteriorating. Every time we went, he was not getting any sunshine, not getting any fresh air. He was just fully caring for his mum with no support. And I guess it really hit home when three years after that, I found out that he actually took his life because he couldn't cope any longer. And that just to this day always resonates with me when I care for our young carers because the big thing is that, you know, nobody should be alone when you're caring for somebody and you should have adequate support. And that realistically 40 years later is still the case. People are still struggling on their own. They're reaching crisis point before they actually get support and it's just not acceptable. And we're trying to change that, which is taking taking a long time, but getting back to how I got into it. So I guess then I was going to change the world. I was young and naive. I was going to care for all these carers and provide a safe haven for them to come to so that no carer felt alone and no carer (laughs) had no support. I was very young and naive, but I progressed with my career. I actually got married, had four amazing sons. And then, as you say, ironically, I became the carer when my husband had a near fatal accident. So yeah, the roles changed. I actually then had to start managing his businesses, give up my nursing for a while until he slowly recovered. It took a few years. And then we just moved, we shifted from Cairns down to Brisbane and it was the ideal time to set up this new centre I was going to do. I still wanted to do it, it was still burning in the back of my mind to do this. And then one of our beautiful sons actually had a really severe medical condition and that was a seven-year cycle. We we battled that for quite a while and we lost him a few times. But in the meantime, we were still actually, with the business we had created, still doing care wellness retreats, just privately funding those. And I saw the difference it made and I knew I had to do this eventually. I was also caring for my elderly parents at that age, at that stage the whole time. And it wasn't until my father, my beautiful father, um, who I just adored, he had a stroke in 2015. And that's when, when he passed, I decided I was going to then set up the foundation, you know, more permanent structure as a charity so that we could just do this full-time caring for our carers. There's been a lot of sadness in that story, Ronnie, but you've also got a lot of strength out of it, it seems, Mm. to be able to continue on and be so driven by the purpose that you have in terms of caring for other carers. I'm also imagining having been there, having done it, having been in that situation, you have such a clear understanding of what they're going through on a day-to-day basis, which I imagine gives them a great deal of comfort and support. It really makes a big difference and, and they know, like that was one of our first major decisions I made that everybody in the foundation has to have had lived caring experience because we've had people come in that haven't and it just doesn't work. I mean, you know, there's some amazing people out there that try to understand, but unless you've been there in that situation where, you know, you're in that deep, dark hole and and you're sort of living minute to minute sometimes, you know, day by day, week by week, you don't understand unless you've been there truly, really. And I guess that's why that was one of those conditions that I had to have And you're right, they know that, they know if you don't get it. (laughs) And when they come to our programs, I guess we embrace them when they arrive and they feel it, they know that it's a safe place that we really get it and they they can talk freely about it because there's no judgment. They don't have to explain anything, we know. And I guess that is a major part in our point of difference with what we do. So tell us about carers. Tell us about Mm. the types of carers that you experience. Who are they? What are the situations that they're in? How are they feeling both mentally and physically? Wow. You know, when you think of carers, 
a lot of people just think it's aged care carers. They just think of people caring for their grandmothers or their elderly wives. But it's not the case at all. We actually have carers as young as 12 years old. And these situations are when, you know, they may have, mum may have a disability and, and the partner has left. That child has no choice but to care for their mother. And they do it out of love, obviously, but then they don't realise the consequences on their health until they stop doing that later and what they miss out on. So by the time, you know, we have a lot of families, young families with children with multiple disabilities or some families with five children with disabilities. It's just even hard to fathom, but that's what we see. And by the time the carers actually do come to us, they're at the end of their tether. They're just not coping. They're on the verge of a breakdown and what we call a health crisis breakdown. And it's, and it's all from compassion fatigue. They've just loved and loved and cared too much that they actually haven't had a chance to care for themselves. So that is when we try to, you know, we obviously embrace them when they come and we sort of identify that. And probably two out of three of these carers have got quite severe mental health issues by the time we see them, just from the anxiety and just the, the depression and the isolation and the loneliness. And it defeats them. They're just broken. So it's hard to even imagine that this is happening in, in our country and they're not getting enough support as they should be. And they have to reach that stage, yeah, before they get support. It's incredible. These things happen behind closed doors. Mm-hmm. and. I'm imagining that the COVID period in particular really compounded these problems for carers where, you know, their own circumstances may not have been known to their their neighbours, their community, but then everybody else's doors were shut too, effectively, and would have made them feel even more isolated. It's terrible. Like, you know, you hear about the isolation with COVID and people experience that isolation for the very first time, but for a very brief period. And they may have been stuck at home, but they still had access to do whatever they wanted to do. You're right. Carers had a triple whammy because they couldn't have people come to their home to support them. They couldn't go to their appointments for their therapies and their treatments. It was devastating for them to be stuck at home and Imagine if you had a child with uh, quite aggressive autism and had to have that routine or an elderly person with dementia and just they couldn't get out and do what they needed to do. There was a lot of things happening that shouldn't have been happening. It was bad. (laughs) Ronnie, I think most of us assume that the NDIS has not fixed these problems but provided the support that these people need, but that's not the case, is it? Look, NDIS has been great for some families because it's specifically for that person with the disability or the illness. So they have got had a lot of support through NDIS to help them, but there's nothing for the actual carer for their own focus on their wellness. And that's where the system lets them down because there's really nothing out there for the actual carer to look after themselves or anyone caring for the carer, which is what we do. And they're still not identified and they're the ones that are actually missing out and they're the ones that keep it all together. Basically, there's 2.7 million carers that are registered in Australia and there's a lot more that we see that are not registered. They're just the ones that are actually on the system. So it's probably one in nine or 10 people and Mm. including young carers, which is huge. It's massive. So, you know, you think about the young carers, if it's one in nine or 10, that's every classroom of 30, there's at least three young carers in that room that people don't know about. And the point is that they're not in that classroom, are they? Because they're often at home caring for their loved one. Exactly. And if they are there, they're not identified. That is a fact because we actually had one of the yoga teachers was a teacher and she came to one of the programs because we try to do the kids on the school holidays so we don't disrupt their normality, the only normality Mm -hmm. they have. One of her students was there and she had no idea. She said, what are you doing here? And she said, well, miss, I care for my mum. 
And of course, she felt like a complete fool because her student was caring for her mother that had a quite a severe, you know, mental disability. So mm. it, all of a sudden, she realised why she was never at school, why she was late, why mm. she never did her homework, why she was exhausted, you know. And I mean, that's this is they don't talk about it. They keep it to themselves because they're either too embarrassed or they're ashamed or they just think that's normal, <laughs> you know. Mm. And so what do you do, Ronnie? Just tell us a bit about the programs that you run mm. through the Carers Foundation. Sure. So ours is purely focused on caring for the carer. So when they arrive, we let them tell their story. And it's often the first time they've actually done that because when you think about it, they spend all their time going to hospitals, going to appointments, going to therapies. And all the time it's the focus is on that person with a disability or illness as it should be, but no one actually stops and ever says, how are you going? So when we turn around and focus on them, it's really foreign to them. They just actually go, oh, oh, I don't know. Actually, I'm not coping at all. And they, they always break down and they cry and tell their story for the first time where they've been heard in a non-judgmental atmosphere because everybody understands it. We all get it. Mm. And it, the tears flow like you won't believe, which is great for them. We can just let them have that release. And even for the men, the men do it as well. They never have a dry eye, which is really healing for them. Mm. So we focus on mental health resilience. So we teach them how to cope with stress. We teach them how to cope with situations that they can't control really better. I mean, no one can care for their loved one as much as they can, but we just teach them how to cope with those situations that may arise that, you know, unexpectedly. And just the extreme stress they face and the anxiety and life-threatening situations, just have an outlet for them to know they can actually just keep their mind clear and keep themselves more sane than what they would normally be, I guess mm, is the best way mm. to put it. It's that sense of self-care that absolutely you know, we, of, we often talk about it in the sense of mothers devoting a lot of time to their children and neglecting their own self-care mm. but that reminder to make sure that your cup is plentiful so that it can yes. overflow it's certainly the case in for these carers isn't it oh absolutely and even when we call them and, and like people identify them and say look this person really needs to get away she's not coping, she's falling apart. Mm. When you call them, they'll always say, oh, no, there's somebody worse off the beat. And we'll go, well, no, there's not. <laughs> you mm. have to look after you because if you fall apart, obviously no one's going to be able to look after your loved one. We do a lot of self-care. We do a lot of meditation, mindfulness. We actually focus on their physical body as well. We do 40 full body massages because people don't even realise that there's what we call accidental abuse where you may have a child with severe autism that does attack and, you know, get aggressive. Mm. Same with the elderly. And so we have a lot of carers set up with bruising, broken, you know, limbs, strains and back injuries just from lifting. So there's a lot of things people don't think about that they have to actually put up with every day. And they do because, you know, they're caring. They just think they're doing the right thing by caring for their loved one, which they have chosen to do and they want to do. But the consequences on their health, you know, it really does affect them after a while. And we're talking about long-term care, aren't we, mm. Ronnie? We're not just talking Absolutely. about, oh, you know, mum or dad's been in hospital no. and whatever and they'll be fine in a, in a few weeks no. or even a few months. We're talking about, in some cases, a lifetime of care. Absolutely. If you've got a child with cerebral palsy, if you've got a child with a severe disability, you do have that child for life. And if they're cared for properly, you know, we do have carers that are, that are 80 years old, still caring for their 65-year-old children with cerebral palsy. And what are they going to do now? They're now worried about what's going to happen to them. They won't relinquish care because they, mm. they know they, there's no choice. So they mm. will just keep caring until probably, you know, the obvious, the worst, worst happens. And if they make it that far, and of, you know, the statistics are that 30% of carers actually do pass away before the person they're caring for because of what they actually go through and, the, and lack of self-care. 
Not that they don't know how to do it. We all know how to look after ourselves. We know what we all know what we need to do. They just don't have the time or the resources to do that. Yeah, and priorities too. They're always putting yeah. the other person first. Absolutely. Mm. Give us some numbers, Ronnie. How many carers have you cared for since the foundation was established? Wow. Oh, gosh. Just for our three-day retreats, we've probably put it through about over 2,000 in the three-day retreats, but we also do one-day retreats. We do mother-daughter days. We do Christmas lunches. We do Mother's Day lunches. Through COVID, obviously, we couldn't visit people, so we actually send our therapists into people's homes when they could, or we'll send out gift boxes just to let them know that, you know, they're not alone, that we're still here for them. A lot Mm. of phone counselling, so countless numbers (laughs) on the phone all the time all the time. And I know that you have been involved in some very special cases, some very challenging cases where, you know, you you almost go into crisis care yourself to, to help some of the families who face really dire situations, don't they? Absolutely. And you can't believe this is even happening. Like we still think we've seen the worst of the worst. We're really at the seeing, you know, people at their worst and you just think it couldn't get any worse, <laughs> but it does. Yeah. Every time we are always bamboozled by it, we just think, wow, how do people put up with this or do this for so long without getting support? And that unfortunately, they are taken advantage of because they, they love too hard and mm. because they care so much. You know, they continue doing what they're doing, even though, even though they don't get the support and they don't complain. Mm. The vision you have for the Carers Foundation moving forward, you've done amazing work to this point. Tell us about what your plans are or what your hopes are for the Carers Foundation moving forward. Well, obviously, we want to expand our reach. The need has grown immensely, especially over the last couple of years. We get a lot of calls from around Australia with people seeing what we're doing and they're saying, when are you coming to Victoria? When are you coming over to Perth or Adelaide or whatever? So look, we would love to expand our reach and we need to get a a new centre, a wellness centre specifically just for carers and hopefully the hub will be in Queensland and then we'll be able to expand that, you know, nationally. But that hub would not just a drop-in centre, it's actually a centre to provide all these amazing programs, but also they can come anytime they need to before they break down, before they hit that health crisis point. They can Mm. come and they can just get that night's rest, you know, a meal, just to have someone care for them overnight and just until they can feel that they can continue. And it would also be a training centre so we can get more educators involved. We can actually train our facilitators, we can train our volunteers so we can get out into the community more. And then we could also make that a social enterprise model where we could actually invite, you know, organisations to bring their staff out for a day to have their wellness programs and their mental Mm. health programs. And that would give us, that would be paid, obviously, and that would give us this long-term sustainability uh, for the foundation. So a couple of things that I think a lot of people falsely assume is that you would be receiving government funding to deliver these programs because clearly there's a need for them. It's one thing to provide Mm. funding to the person with a disability, but I think there's an assumption that these sorts of services for carers are paid for. Mm. That's not the case, is it? It's not the case, no. We used to receive government funding, but it was all changed in 2019. So a lot of the organisations in Queensland that did get that funding it was all cut and it was all given to a smaller organisation to take over that. And it all now goes through the Carer Gateway, which is the national presence for carers. So it looks like there's a lot of support on there. Carers go there and it tells you they can have anything they want. But when they phone up, and this is from feedback that we get from the carers, when they phone up, they can't get through on the phones. 
It may take six weeks to get an appointment to get in, to get their case assessed, to see what support they need. When they do get in, they may be able to offer them, you know, some counselling, which they often don't want because they don't want to talk to anybody they don't know. They may offer some other support. But what we're finding now is they're actually being told, and this has happened in the last four weeks, they've been told that they can't support them, these organisations that have received all the government money. And they're, <laughs> and ironically, these organisations are actually telling them to ring us. Oh. <laughs> don't. <laughs> and I've got quite a few letters from emails and which we'll, we'll be taking further with those the powers that be just to show why uh, this organisation referring carers to us that when our funding was cut. So one of the discussions we've had throughout this series of WNA Trailblazers is about business growth. Mm-hmm. And that's a discussion that's equally valid in the what we used to call the not-for-profit sector, mm. but we really call the for-purpose sector. Yes, yes. <laughs> and yeah, the principles around business growth and achieving business growth. And you talked about that social enterprise model that you're working to yes. build into the future of the Carers Foundation. But yes. can you just give us an insight as well as doing all the amazing things that you do in terms of the programs for carers? You actually have to run a business as well. That's right. Yes, that's so true. And I guess the greatest challenge with any charity is funding. Mm. And I guess the immense workload that we all have to do, especially the smaller grassroots charities. And once you don't get that government funding, it's Mm. everything. We're totally reliant on donations, grants that we apply for and, you know, any fundraisers that we do. So it's a really fine balance to find the perfect recurrent funding, which is what we all need. Mm. And it's very challenging at the moment because, you know, all the the demand for services is increasing threefold. It's crazy. Even we can't keep up with what's Mm. happening. Yeah, it's a huge challenge just finding that recurrent funding and finding just decent sources of funding. One of the really, I think, important things around organisations in the for-purpose space is leadership. And you do an amazing job, Ronnie, and you build a huge amount of networking into your approach. Can you tell us why that is and how important that is for your organisation? Absolutely. I guess, you know, for a long time, because we actually received a lot of funding initially, we were just so busy spending that that we didn't get out there and we couldn't really tell people about us and do the networking. But You know, it's really important now to get out there and just really raise awareness for what we're doing. As I say, people don't have any idea what's what people, you know, these carers are doing behind Mm. the scenes. They have no Mm. idea when I talk about carers, you can tell they think, oh, yeah, old people. But no, when I mention about these teenagers and these young families that are not coping, they just can't believe it. So I guess it's about raising that awareness. Just trying to find somebody that actually understands it and gets it and has been in that situation so that may be able to help philanthropically. That's a big part of what we do because it's all basically caring and compassion and giving back and that's what we need to sort of highlight and raise awareness for. Ronnie, you mentioned compassion fatigue is something Mm. that carers suffer from. How do you deal with that? Because you spend a lot of time caring for carers, but how do you deal with (laughs) compassion fatigue? How do you look after your own health? I know, and that's always a challenge because... (laughs) Everybody says, if we don't, just, you know, my, even my son, my fourth son the other day, he said, Mum, when are you going to start practicing what you preach? And I said, just do as you told, not do as I do. <laughs> so that's always a challenge, but it's a big lesson for me because I have pushed myself way too hard. Like you do 18 hours a day, every day for six years, it does catch up with you. So now I have to stop and, and really find time for myself, which is, has been <laughs> of the worst time of all when you don't have any funding. How do you do that? But you do, you have to prioritise the time. But what keeps us going is 
is seeing the outcomes from what we do. And that'll always be the reason that we do what we do is when we see these people change and transform in three days. So you see these, especially the young carers, they arrive, they're disengaged, they're angry, you know, they're, they're resentful, they have no eye contact. And to see them transform into these gorgeous, you know, beautiful people that want to hug you and want to embrace you because really the first time they come to us, it's probably the first time they've experienced a kind, loving environment where somebody's actually caring for them. So yeah. at first it's very foreign and it's but they embrace it like you wouldn't believe. They think, wow, this, is, this isn't too bad. I actually <laughs> like this. So they know they have a safe place to come back to. So it's like their second home. We can't change what's happening in their environment at home, but we can just change the way they deal with it. And that's the big part of what we do in the programs is just that mental health resilience and training them and teaching them different strategies to cope when it's really, really bad and they think they can't do it anymore because they are isolated. They don't have any friends. And that's the biggest thing about what we do is seeing them connect with others because that is ongoing for them because when they leave, they stay connected. And I think you've met our young girls, our twins that came out to us when they were only 16 and 17, and they're still connected with the kids that they met on that retreat years ago. In fact, they live together. so. They're 24 now and we still support them even after their mum's passed away. So I guess it's just seeing the results is what keeps us going. But having said that, I'm I so think you were dodging my question there, Ronnie. <laughs> I am. I, I am. I'm dodging your question because I know I have to focus more on me. <laughs> but they're onto it. All my girls are onto it. They're onto me. So I, I, I'm, take, I'm listening because I... <laughs> I know you're supported by an incredible bunch of volunteers at the Carers yes. Foundation. As you say, many have, have had their own personal experiences. In fact, most have had some sort of personal experience Absolutely. in a caring role and that gives them that incredible level of, I think, empathy and ability to connect and, as you say, in a non-judgmental way. Absolutely. I think there's also probably a lot of people listening who might want to find out more about the Carers Foundation and hopefully even perhaps donate their time or their money in some way. How can they do that, Ronnie? Yeah, absolutely. So if they just head to our website and just go to the thecaresfoundation.org, we have a few different programs you can get involved with. We've got My Giving Table working with us. So you can have a hosted dinner where you can actually get them and host dinner for your friends and that money you charge them gets donated. We're setting up a dollar a week for a carer, so just a dollar a week at all is all it takes to support us. We've got the 500 Club, as you know, and we can people can commit to sort of fundraising over 500 days to help us get towards that goal for the centre. And of course, obviously, attending our fundraisers. And our next big one is in October, and next year we'll be repeating that every year called the Unsung Heroes. That's our signature event. So every year in Carers Week, we'll be getting amazing individuals in the community that have ability to raise funds and they do a big sing-off at the end of the year. So that's fun. That's a fun event. It'll be happening every year. So that's the Unsung Heroes, which will be great. And they are Unsung Heroes, these carers. But I think we can also, in a lot of ways, say that you, Ronnie, are very much an unsung hero yourself in the community. And we want to thank you for all that you do. It's stressful and not just stressful in terms of the type of work, but the, the whole worry about how do we fund this? How do we how yeah. do we do what we do? How do we keep the doors open, let alone how do we grow and continue and expand our services to meet the need that's out there? So a huge thank you for everything that you do. Oh, it's, our, it's my pleasure. <laughs> it's what keeps me going. It's my passion in life. So 
<laughs> All good reasons and good places to support Ronnie and Carers Foundation Australia that she gave us there. Cheryl, why in particular was this charity so important to you as the CEO of Women's Network Australia for us to be supporting? The Carers Foundation was really important for us, partly because I'm aware that we have a number of members who are carers themselves and are balancing the days of business with mm. nights of caring and whether that's for elderly relatives or sick partners or children. What I have found is that a, a lot of our women in business have other responsibilities and often it's caring responsibilities. Yeah. So an organisation like the Carers Foundation who do dedicate themselves to caring for carers, I thought was really important and resonated with a lot of our members. So the fact that there isn't a reliable source of funding to continue to provide the programs that the Carers Foundation offer and also that there's a lot of young carers out there who uh, are also benefiting from their programs is important. But for us, it was the fact that women in business, a lot of them have caring responsibilities on their plate as well mm. as running their businesses. Even from a, a workplace kind of perspective too, I mean, think about the you know role of, of women as managers. Often we find ourselves in almost a nurturing caring position for staff that we have as well. Um, many times in my career managing people, I've driven staff to doctor's appointments and waited with them and stuff. You kind of do when you take on a position of power, become a bit of a incidental carer for people that you look after as well. Yeah. And I thought the story that Ronnie told about how she had a yoga teacher at uh, one of their programs and this yoga teacher was also a teacher and had a student turn up and said, what are you doing here? And found out that that child was actually caring for a sick relative. Mm. And so that suddenly explained to this teacher why this child was skipping school, was coming in tired, you know, not paying attention. And so sometimes we just have to just be careful that there may be other things going on in people's lives. And what we're seeing may not necessarily be the full story in terms of the, the load that they're carrying. Yeah. We should all support the Carers Foundation as best we can. What was the website address again? The website address is thecarersfoundation.org, all one word, thecarersfoundation.org. And yes, uh, a great way to jump on and support a really amazing organisation. And of course, Women's Network Australia will be supporting them throughout our events uh, this year and next year. And that's a good reason to jump onto womensnetwork.com.au and find out more about everything that's going on. Absolutely. Next time on WNA Trailblazers. When you talk about not-for-profit, people forget that you need money to be sustainable. I think building a nest egg is so, so important because you want to have money yourself that then you can do what you need to do to achieve your purpose rather than constantly applying for grants, which may not be in accordance with your purpose. Corporate and commercial lawyer Alice Tay lets us in on how she now uses her skills and knowledge to help businesses grow, organisations prosper and communities flourish. Women's Network Australia is a business network for women that's been around for over 30 years. And like Women's Network Australia, Davies Chocolates has a proud history and a love of innovation. Davies Chocolates has been making handcrafted chocolates since 1932. And the chocolate making traditions of the past have been mixed with the needs of today. With all your favourites now made with delicious gluten-free and palm oil-free gourmet chocolate. Visit davieschocolates.com.au and order your selection online for speedy delivery to your door. Davies Chocolates are a proud sponsor of WNA Trailblazers. 
thinking about making your own podcast? Welcome Change Media would love to help. Visit welcomechangemedia.com.au. WNA Trailblazers is a Welcome Change Media production.